0: So we're continuing our series, Detox. You know, detoxing, that is, from the habits that break us apart as community. You don't hear me talk about sin all that often, right? I mean, it's just not part of my vernacular from the pulpit on a regular basis, and I'll tell you a little bit more why that is in just a little bit. But today I want to talk about, briefly, what I believe sin to be in its most crucial form. There's two components to what sin is. And I'm beginning with this because I hope you take it away. And the first is, is our inward turn toward ourselves. So sin is our gaze to ourselves instead of to God. St. Augustine talked about this as this bent, leaning, this disposition that we would have towards ourselves as opposed to God. And we see this over and over again when we try to build the Tower of Babel and try to be like God. That's why they built the tower, because they believed God would be up in the clouds. And so if they got up in the clouds on that big, tall tower, they could be like God. Humanity's turn to ourselves and our image. And we do this in unintentional ways. Component number one. Component number two, sin is that which fractures us as community. So sin is two things, our inward turn towards ourselves and that which fractures us as a community. Uh, The image I like to imagine of what it might look like is to gather around the table, which is why the table of Christ is the most important symbolic image for me as Christians, even beyond the cross, because it proclaims to us the goal that we're working towards, to gather around the heavenly table and where everyone has a seat, And everyone has a voice. And so sin then are the activities that we might take upon ourselves that turn our gaze from God and also that might break apart a community. Sin is breaking apart the community. And so if you track where we have been in this series, we began on Epiphany Sunday by talking about listening to the other voices. Because what good is a table if it's an insular circle with no room for another, no room for the voices that might be different from us? Remember, sin is that which breaks apart, not just our current table, but the table as it ought to be, where all are invited and included. And so we've tracked different ways in which we might break apart the table, Another analogy we could use instead of table is the one that the Apostle Paul talks about, the body of Christ, right? And he uses this image throughout his letters and the epistles as an image for the church that was utterly divided, Utterly divided, uh, probably even more than we would see the division amongst politics these days between, you know, the binary options that were given and media platforms and all of the things. It was opposite ways of living as a Jew and a Gentile. And so the Apostle Paul was working over and over again in his ministry to bring together these radically different vantage points, not just on what it means to believe in God, but what it means to live everyday life and what it means to be in community. And over and over again, the Apostle Paul uses the word, the body of Christ, that we are one in the body, that we are together. The hand cannot say to the foot, the eye to the ear, that one is more important than the other, but we are all one in the body. It's an image that resonates with us because if you have just one ailment, it can affect your entire life, right? I mean, just a few weeks ago, I was running. If you know, uh, my wife and I, we run the Lonnie Kai Loop on a regular basis, and I hurt my knee, and it has disrupted my life because my knee is too sore to go running, And, and my normal everyday routine is shot, and I don't feel like myself because of just one piece of the body not acting the way it ought. And I know I'm not the only one that has encountered ailments and I know that many of us have them and it reminds us of the words of the Apostle Paul because how amazing is it when all work together, when all work together. But it's interesting though in this conversation in the chapter of Ephesians of 4 when he's really building this argument of how we're together in this one of the keys that he hits home is the way we view and specifically the way we talk towards each other. Some of you knew, I I mean, and I can't claim this probably that much longer anymore, but I used to not be a Christian. I didn't grow up, like, going to church and doing that, so I still see myself in that vantage point, although I think the the amount of years I have been in church leadership now has surpassed the years of which me not being a Christian. But just for a moment, I want us to to see from the perspective of someone that is, uh, one, a different age demographic than some of us, but then, two, also from some of the non-church people. So there's a group called the Barna Research Group, and they do research all throughout the, you know, society on a number of different levels. But, Quinn, I want you to put up on the slide a way in which millennials, and I'm the oldest of the millennials, right? A way in which millennials view, can you go to, uh, oh, yeah, that one's perfect, view Christians. And So it might be hard for you to read if you're in there, but I'll describe it to you. You can see all of these gauges, right, that are on the screen. 66%, 46%, 44%, 65%, 54%, 49%. That's a lot of percentages, right? You're talking people that are My age, so I'm 37, full disclosure, to younger, probably down to like 25. That age group, an age group that the church wants to connect to desperately because we don't find ourselves in churches as often as other age demographics, that group has almost 50% across the board on these mentalities of Christians. What do they think of when they think of Christians? And so you can see the first one, American Christians are hypocritical. 66% of millennials in the church and out of the church view American Christians as hypocritical. 46% view people at the church as uh, tolerant of those who are different than them. So if you think about that, the flip side is 64% of millennials think that Christians are not tolerant of people different than them. 64%. And friends, I, I know this is like really depressing news a little bit when you think about this, but... This is the most stark. 87% of Millennials view Christians as judgmental. 87% of Millennials view Christians as judgmental. And Koen, you can get off the slide for now. As I thought and I prayed over that this week and thinking about Paul's words, Paul's words are more important than ever to us as the church. When 87% of a population group views us as judgmental, we have the Apostle Paul's words as think not upon the things that might tear someone down, but instead speak and think upon the things that build others up. That build others up. And so today, When we talk about detoxing habits, I want to talk about how we can detox as a church and as people, toxic talk about others. Detoxing toxic talk about others. Because here's the thing that I I know. I know that in my church experience, those statistics are radically off. Right? I mean, Quina, go to the next slide that I have up there for you. This is the image that millennials have of Christians. And so you can see you have the finger-pointing with the words over the Bible, person that's viewing them. You have the laid-back, relaxed, you know, maybe the the Jesus movement. And you have the the on-the-microphone downtown Waikiki telling people that they need to be saved. And, And then you have the hipster church where everyone's raising their hands and praising. Right. The most significant thirty seven percent thirty seven percent see Christians as holding their finger over a Bible telling them what not to do and friends, I have yet to do that, <laughs> although I'm doing it right now this is the first time I'm not holding the Bible right now. you can get off of that slide, Kuna. I have yet to do that, and I have yet to experience Christians in my congregations intentionally doing that I, I just we see ourselves as open and inclusive in the churches that I've participated in and as welcoming and as friendly. So, I do not believe that the ways in which we're perceived is, in fact, the way in which we are, okay? First of all, I do not believe the way in which we are perceived is the way, in fact, we are, but I do believe that we all succumb to the temptation of toxic talk, right? And the more we can detox ourselves from that and use language that's building up, encouraging words of affirmation, of thankfulness, of I'm glad you're here, the more we will create authentic community together with one another. The more we will create authentic community with one another. And it happens in simple ways from, you know, the the language that we use to one another to, I dare to say, a habit that many of us have, which is referenced specifically by the Apostle Paul in the words gossip. See, gossip is one of those kind of pervasive things in society at some level that we like to talk about other people and we do it, like, again, in, thing, in ways that aren't that bad. Oh, did you know that so-and-so is just having a baby, right? And the, but then that might go into, and did you know that so-and-so, you know, made some really bad decisions, or did you know that? And very quickly, we can allow our language and our words about someone break us apart. Because let me paint a picture for you. If there is a millennial that makes their way into the building that has that perception, right? One of the 87% of judgmental or 66% of hypocritical. And they start to be part of our community. And we start to give them a position of leadership in that community. And then the minute that they start doing a leadership position, they might throw a potluck or do an event on our uh, parking lot or do something. And then you know what they might hear? Well, they might hear someone say a word of... I was talking to so-and-so. And we just, and, and, you know, we're not sure it was done properly. And you wonder what that person just heard, that millennial just heard. All of my perceptions about Christians were just validated, validated. That my work in the church, my service, was just gossiped about and critiqued. And now I feel the exact same way that I walked in this door. Because gossip, I don't think, is one of those things you experience as a newcomer. Gossip is one of those things you experience as you try to enmesh yourself within a community. And and, and friends, it happens everywhere. It's not just churches. I'm not trying to to blame churches, but the Apostle Paul is very adamant that if we are going to be whole as a body of Christ, we must rid ourselves of toxic talk. And instead use language that builds one another up. Because another thing that Christians, especially Millennial Group, sense a thousand miles away is people being fake with one another. And what is the main reason people will be fake with each other? I think, at least. The main reason is because they think if they pull down the mask, and people see the raw them, the them that's struggling in their marriage, the them that is, you know, uncertain about who God is, the them that is, uh, you know, sad for no reason, whatever that is, if they pull down the mask and see who it is, then what are they going to encounter? Someone who might judge them. And I'm not saying it's because the people in our pews or in our communities, the people of faith, are judgmental. It is just a lingering fear that people have that they will be judged. But the Apostle Paul says instead that we ought to do what? The same that that Christ Jesus did. He, in fact, before this passage, used the words clothing, Because, you know, clothing is one of those habitual things we do, right? Every day, we wake up, we look into our closet, and we say, one, what's clean? (laughs) What's the laundry that I've done? And two, what am I going to wear? An intentional choice that you make every single day, the Apostle Paul is saying, you will make every single day. What will you wear? And you ought to wear the clothing of Christ who did not offer judgment at every step of the way. Instead, he offered grace. And it was usually those, he did offer judgment, and the judgment was usually to those who thought of themselves better than they were. Right? He judges the Pharisees. He uses language. He flips over the tables and says, this is not (laughs) a house of the Lord. When we're selling and we're thinking of ourselves better. But then when the woman caught in the act of adultery comes before him to be judged by the Pharisees, what does he do? He draws a line in the sand, empathizes with the woman, and he says, any of you who wants to judge this woman and has nothing to be judged about cross over this line. And not one of them. Because we all know the truth, that we all have plenty to feel judged about. But the the beauty of our faith is that our faith is a faith of non-judgment. Our faith is a faith of grace. As giving us something that we did not deserve. And the people that experience the transformation of grace within the context of community are the people often throughout the scriptures that are vulnerable, that pull down their masks, and the communities that allow that to happen. The communities that allow one another to do it. So when someone brings down their mask, and I'll pull mine down, that on, what day is it today? It's The 23rd, on January 20th, the pastor's Christmas tree came down in his house, <laughs> and the shame and guilt of moving beyond epiphany and having life unorderedly was there, that people might judge us for not being on top of things, but don't worry, your pastor's Christmas tree came down on January 20th. And that is okay. And it seems so silly, right? But it's those silly things that we hold judgment over ourselves, like the car we drive or how, you know, our hair looks today or how presentable we are. We judge ourselves and we view others as judging us. And so my words of affirmation and encouragement to you is you have been a recipient of God's grace and own it. Remember, stop looking towards yourself. Sin is looking towards myself as if I am so important. Instead, look to God who says what to you. You are my beloved daughter or son in whom I love as you are. And now look to your community around you and use words that affirm the truth that we hear with God to them because we have an insurmountable task, it seems, right? 87%, 66%, 64%, all of these staggering percentages. So in the midst of that, being over the top about things like, hey, I like your dress today. Hey, it is so good to see you. Hey, thank you for your vulnerability. The amount of extra words of affirmation, And encouragement, the words that build one another up, you're doing an awesome job. I hope you know at your job that you're appreciated because you're worth it. You know, simple words like that that you can use with your family, your loved ones, your neighbors. Those are what people are looking for and are desperate for, especially when they're looking for community. So how do we give an overabundance of grace in the words that we use with others? Because I know the hearts of so many of us in our church community is a heart to welcome all of us around the table, to be included, to have a voice. When I say those words, I, hear the, I see the heads nod, I hear the amens, I know that you're tracking with me. So how might we use our language, the talk, in very intentional ways, over the top, to counteract the perceptions that others might have about Christians in the world? Because like I said, I don't know this as an image of the people I know. But it's an image that people carry about us when we tell them we're a Christian, And it's stereotypical and it's wrong and it ought not to be there as well. But we can't change it. But you know what we can do? Offer grace upon grace upon grace. And most importantly, use it in our words. And as we do that and we create spaces for people to let down their masks, we might find ourselves with a more beautiful, diverse, and glorious table. Because more people are speaking up, more people are present, more people feel at home in the community that we create through the talk that we provide to one another.